Hello there. So let's continue with chapter 7 subchapters. Maharishi Ramana Dr. T.N. Datta, a prominent physician from Gajipur, UP, wrote to me that he was coming to see me at Nasik, where I was living. After visiting, he told me his reason for coming. He said he was very anxious to take me with him to Arunachala in South India to have darshan of Maharishi Ramana. In the winter of 1949, we left for Arunachala. My stay at this ashram was brief but very pleasant. During those days, Maharishi Ramana was observing silence. There were several foreign students staying in the ashram. Shastriji, one of his prominent disciples, would give discourses and Maharishi Ramana would sit quietly. There was one thing that I found in his presence which was very rare and which I seldom found elsewhere. For those whose hearts were open to that voice of silence which was perennially radiating in the ashram, just sitting near him was enough to answer any question arising from within. It is true that to be in the presence of a great man is the same as experiencing Savikalpa Samadhi, Samadhi with the form. Maharishi Ramana did not have a physical guru. He is the greatest and holiest man born on soil of India with a hundred years period, said Dr. Radhakrishnan. A glance of such a great man purifies the way of the soul. According to Maharishi Ramana, contemplating on the single query, Who am I? can lead the aspirant to the state of self-realization. Though this method of contemplation is the foundation stone of the philosophies of both the East and West, it was revived again by Maharishi Ramana. The entire Vedanta philosophy was brought into practice by the Maharishi. He put the Iliad in a nutshell. By knowing oneself, one knows the self of all. The very simple, profound method of self-inquiry is accepted by both Easterners and Westerners. After five days' stay in the spiritually vibrant atmosphere of Arunachala, we came back to Nasik. After visiting this great sage, I decided to resign the dignity and prestige of Shankaracharya. For a renunciate like myself, leading such a busy life had become burdensome and boring. My visit to Arunachala and the darshan of, Mahar of the Maharishi only added fuel to that fire, which was already burning within me. Renounce thee and you will attain. This echoed in my heart so powerfully that my stay at Nasik became more and more impossible. It was not easy for me to run away, abruptly leaving all the responsibilities. But one day the courage came to me and I left Nasik for my Himalayan home.
I have a firm conviction that no one can be enlightened by anyone else. But sages inspire and give inner strength, without which self-enlightenment is impossible. In today's world, human beings do not have any example to follow. There is no one to inspire them and that is why enlightenment seems to be so difficult. Great sages are the sources of inspiration and enlightenment. Meeting with Sri Aurobindo It was unbearable for me to stay in the demanding environment of Nasik and I thought of visiting Pondicherry and meeting the mother and Sri Aurobindo. The students of this ashram were very devoted and firm in the conviction that the way of life they led was supreme. The day I arrived at Pondicherry, there was a concert given by a famous musician who was a disciple of Sri Aurobindo. The mother was kind enough to arrange for me to stay in one of the quarters and to hear the devotional songs sung by that great devotee. My stay in Pondicherry for 21 days gave me enough time to strengthen the aspirations which I had received at the ashram of Maharishi Ramana in Arunachala. During those days of my inner turmoil, I was very restless. On one side, I was being pulled by renunciation and on the other side by the call of duty which had been assigned to me. While at Pondicherry, I met Sri Aurobindo several times and he was kind enough to talk to me. His personality was very overpowering and inspiring. I started respecting his modern and intellectual approach of integral yoga. I want to give you the gist of what I understood this philosophy to be. Sri Aurobindo's philosophy is described as integral non-dualism. This is an approach which seeks to understand reality in its fundamental oneness. The differences which we observe are looked upon as developments taking place within the framework of all of all of the all-inclusive unity of the absolute. Integral non-dualism erases the distinctions of ethics, religion, logic and metaphysics. Sri Aurobindo's conviction is that absolute reality in its essence is non-dual, non-conceptual and logically indefinable. It is only accessible to direct experience through the penetrative insight of pure spiritual intuition. According to the non-dualism, Advaita, reality is beyond materialism. Causation structure and number According to non-dualism, Advaita, reality is beyond materialism causation, structure and number. This same conviction is expressed in the philosophy of Nirguna Brahman in Vedanta. In the concept of 
Shunyata in Buddhist philosophy, in the concept of Tao in Chinese philosophy, and in the philosophy of Tatvaita in Tantra. The philosophy of Tantra consistently maintains that one can advance spiritually by awakening the latent primal force called the Kundalini. When this spiritual potential is systematically channeled along higher levels, living becomes effortless, spontaneous and attuned to the ultimate goal of existence. Vaishnavism recommends the method of love and devotion through wholehearted self-surrender to God. Christian mysticism and Sufism have a close resemblance to Vaishnavism in this respect. Let thy will, not mine, be done. Is their secret of spiritual growth. Vedanta, by contrast, lays stress upon the method of contemplation and self-enquiry. It includes discrimination between the self and the not-self and then the renunciation of emotional attachments to the not-self. It includes discrimination between the self and the not-self and then the renunciation of emotional attachments to the not-self. As soon as false identifications with the not-self are removed, the indwelling light of truth is revealed. According to Aurobindo's integral philosophy, both the lower nature and the higher nature of man and the universe spring from the same ultimate reality. The lower nature is the physical force in the world and the source of instinctual drives in the unconscious mind. Man's higher nature is composed of pure consciousness and spiritual aspirations. It evolves out of the matrix of the lower nature through the awareness of the ultimate creative force called Shakti. Aurobindo calls this force Divine Mother. Man has to faithfully be aware of this force in order to attain the realization of the Absolute. This awareness implies a tranquil integration of the material and the spiritual. According, according to Aurobindo, the, supra, the supraphysical can only be really mastered in its fullness when we keep our feet firmly on the physical. The supra-physical can only be really mastered in its fullness when we keep our feet firmly on the physical. This awareness is developed through two methods. The first is the integration of meditation with action. Through meditation, one tears the veil of ignorance. He thus realizes his true self, which is the very self of all. Through selfless and loving actions, one relates creatively with others. The second method of awareness of the divine lies in the knowledge of the ascending and descending forces of consciousness. 
these powerful movements gradually expand the spiritual outlook and help one to raise to higher levels of consciousness the descending movement brings down the light and the power of higher consciousness into all strata of our material existence this consists of transforming the physical into effective channels of expression for universal love and all unifying truth integral non-dualism sees evolution evolution as the progressive self manifestation of the universal spirit in material conditions the whole universe is an expansion or play of the divine man's highest destiny is to be fully aware of the universal spirit and thus advance the cause of evolution therefore the essence of integral yoga lies in the active and effective awareness of the individual with the superconscious divine sri arabindo synthesizes the ancient philosophy of advaita in the belief that it is not necessary for modern man to realize the goal of non dualistic assist assistism sorry through renunciation meditation in action with non attachment also prepares the sadhaka for awakening the primal force kundalini by the realization of the union of shakti and shiva humanity can be elevated to a higher awareness i was fully convinced that sri arvindo's philosophy would have wide recognition by the modern minds of india and especially of the west but i was accustomed to quiet solitude solitude and could not adjust to the numerous activities of the ashram like dramas con- concerts and tennis i returned to nasik and determined to leave for the himalayas the wave of bliss i once visited chitrakoot one of the holy places where according to the epic ramayana lord rama lived during his exile This place is situated in the on the Vindhya range one of the longest mountains ranges in India According to ancient tradition vairagi sadhus visit Vrindavan and Chitrakoot Vrindavan for those who love Krishna and Chitrakoot for those who love Rama In another part of the Vindhya range in a holy place called Vindhyachal there lived many shakti worshippers traveling towards the forest of reva state i went to the satana forest and there met a swami who was very handsome and highly educated in the vedantic and yoga tradition he knew the scriptures and was a very brilliant sadhaka spiritual practitioner he was later nominated as shankaracharya of jyotirmaya peetham which is in the himalayas on the way to badrinath his name was brahmanda saraswati he used to live only on germinated gram seeds mixed with a little bit of salt he lived on a hill hillock in a small natural cave near a mountain pool 
I was led by the villagers to that place, but I did not find anyone there and become and became disappointed. The next day, I went again and found a few footprints on the edge of the pool, made by his wooden sandals. I tried, but I could not track the footprints. Finally, on the fifth day of effort, early in the morning before sunrise, I went back to the pool and found him taking a bath. I greeted him, saying, "Namo Narayan," which is a commonly used salutation among swamis, meaning "I bow to the divinity in you." He was observing silence, so he motioned for me to follow him to his small cave. and i did so gladly this was the eighth day of his silence and after staying the night with him he broke his silence and i gently spoke to him about the purpose of my visit i wanted to know how he was living and the ways and methods of his spiritual practices during our conversation he started talking to me about sri vidya the highest of paths followed only by accomplished sanskrit scholars of india it is a path which joins raja yoga kundalini yoga bhakti yoga and advaita vedanta there are two books recommended by the teachers of this path the wave of bliss and the wave of beauty the compilation of the two books is called saundarya lahri in san in sanskrit there is another part of this literature called prayoga shastra which is man which is in manuscript form and found only in mysore and baroda libraries no scholar can understand these spiritual yoga poems without the help of a competent teacher who himself practices these teachings later on i found that shri vidya and madhu vidya are spiritual practices known to a very few only 10 or 12 people in all of india i became interested in knowing this science and whatever little i have today is because of it in this science the body is seen as a temple and the inner dweller atman as god a human being is like a miniature universe and by understanding this one can understand the whole of universe and ultimately realize the absolute one finally after studying many scriptures and learning various paths my master helped me in choosing to practice the way of shri vidya in this path the kundalini fire is seen as the mother divine and through yoga practices it is awakened from its primal state and raised to the highest of the chakras the chakras are wheels of life which form our spiritual body and connect the entire flow of consciousness the science of chakra is very terse but if one knows the science well it serves him on all levels the chakras operate on the physical physiological energetic mental and spiritual levels
these energy centers correspond in the physical body to points along the spinal cord the lowest is located at the coccyx the second in the sacral area the third at the navel the fourth at the heart the fifth at the base of the throat the sixth at the point between the eyebrows and the seventh at the crown of the head the lowest chakras are the grooves towards towards which the lower mind rushes the heart anahata chakra separates the upper hemisphere from the lower hemisphere and is accepted as the center of divine tranquility buddhism hinduism christianity and judaism also recognize this center that which is called anahata chakra in hinduism is called the star of david in judaism and the sacred heart in christianity the higher chakras are the centers of upward traveling energy there are many levels of consciousness from the heart chakra to the thousand petal lotus inside the crown of the head when one sits erectly for meditation these centers are aligned energy can be focused on one chakra or another developing the capacity to direct the flow of energy to the highest chakras is one aspect of spiritual knowledge knowledge of pranic vehicles is important if one wants to experience all the chakras systematically there is a bulk of literature on the chakras in hinduism and buddhism which was later explained and introduced by theosophical writers for western readers western writers have also written many books on the subject of chakras although most of them with the exception of those written by sir john woodroof are misleading for they consist merely of second hand information without anything to guide one's practice such misleading literature on such a highly perfected science is found all over even in health food stores how ridiculous swami brahmanda was one of the rare siddhas accomplished ones who had the knowledge of sri vidya his authoritative knowledge on of the upanishads and especially of shankara's commentaries was superb he was also a very good speaker swami karpatri a renowned scholar was the disciple who requested him to accept the prestige and dignity of shankaracharya in the north a seat which had been vacant for 300 years whenever he traveled from one city to another people flocked in the thousands to hear him and after his nomination as shankaracharya his followers increased one thing very attractive about his way of teaching was his combination of the bhakti and advaita systems during my brief stay with him he also talked about madhusudana's commentary on the bhagavad gita swami brahmanda 
had a sri yantra made out of rubies and he showed it to me he for, he explained the way he worshiped it it is interesting to note how the great sages direct all their spiritual mental and physical resources towards their ultimate goal among all the swamis of india i met only a few who radiated such brilliance and yet lived in the public remaining unaffected by worldly tem- temptations and distractions i stayed with him for only a week and then left for uttarakashi that's it for today i know it was intense but nice to read all these and know the informations thanks for listening